We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hey, it's Flo, and this is my impression of a Hollywood acceptance speech. I'm so surprised. I had no idea. I'm not even prepared. Um, okay. <clears throat> I'd like to thank the progressive discounts that got me here. Safe driver, multi-car, paid in full multi-policy. This is just such a big moment. And did I mention that I'm surprised? With all kinds of discounts, progressive helps you save. Oh, 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 and I want to thank my agent and all my discounts agents because we all have the same agent. Don't start the music. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code Rotowire when you deposit on DraftKings for a free contest entry today. It is Monday, September 7th, 2015. It is Labor Day, and we are still here doing the podcast. Nick Whalen, joined by Derek Van Riper, as I always am on Mondays. Derek, what did you do for Labor Day? Well, uh, I mean, Labor Day itself... I'm enjoying this podcast, right. of course. Uh, Sunday is basically our Labor Day. Yeah, Sunday was my Labor Day. I, I was lucky enough. I was at home. I got to spend some time with my family. My birthday was Friday, so I was just chilling with them, went out to dinner, the usual stuff. 
And uh, actually, I, mean, I joined a bowling league, too. It's a once-a-month bowling league. It's an hour away, so it's with my parents and a bunch of their friends. So I, I must be getting really old because my friends don't do enough stuff. They're starting to have kids. They're ruling themselves out of being social. You know, I, I don't want to go hang out at Chuck E. Cheese because I don't have a kid. So that's kind of a weird situation. That's definitely for me, a weird situation. Because I don't want to be there. So it, it just makes sense that for my weekend social gatherings now, I have to go up a generation and hang out with my parents and their friends. And we had to pre bowl because I'm busy next Saturday. So at least that's, that, that's the good news. I'm already missing the first week because I at least have some plans next week. But it's you can uh, pre bowl. What do you mean? Like, so you, you bowled this weekend and we're like, this is going to count as if I was bowling? Yes. It, it's wow. really serious. We went in. And uh, it's a it's a husband and wife situation. So Steph was there, and we, oh, romantic, yeah, very romantic to go to the bowling alley to get a couple pictures of high life and to to pre bowl on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and my my siblings are our teammates, my younger brother, my younger oh, wow. sister. So we've got a, like a family multi generation thing going on here in this league. Uh, it's apparently a pretty serious league. I mean, you've got uh, some guys that can push like a two hundred average in there. Uh, but I, I think I had like a 164 average yesterday for week one. Went in kind of cold and, and did all right. It was un, you know, less than ideal conditions. You know, right. it was humid. It was. Lanes it was were a little humid. sticky, so my, my footwork was a little sloppy. You had to um, get in the cage. Yes. Get some more reps. Well, the cool thing about bowling leagues, I've never, I haven't been in a bowling league since I was like 10 years old. They give you 10 minutes to throw as many balls as you want before you start. What, like BP, basically? Basically, it's BP. You're just <laughs> up there getting used to the oil patterns and, and just going to town. I mean, I was... I probably bowled three extra games in 10 minutes because, you know, my siblings and my wife were looking at me like, we don't need to warm up. This is bowling. And I'm like, free bowling. And I just, yeah, I just, right. went, I just went bananas out there. And I think that helped a lot because, you know, I got a couple extra games in. You just don't want to bowl your arm out. That's the biggest concern there is when you're on a pitch count at that point and you just don't – you don't want to – you know, throw too many balls before it actually starts counting. Yeah, that's the that's the concern, and I think that's where the rest of the group was. And I, I think I I did some permanent damage to my arm in high school. There was a all you can bowl deal on the weekends at the local bowling alley, and of course, being the uh, you know the enterprising young man that I was, for twelve bucks I could go hang out for three or four hours. And it, it was some night where a bunch of friends and I we, we invited a bunch of girls to go, and of course they didn't show up because chicks love bowling. They love bowling from eleven to two in the morning on a Friday night at some crappy towny bowling alley. Uh, so it was just like me and one other guy that actually stayed the entire three hours. So by the time two o'clock rolled around, I honestly think I bowled like fifteen games in one night. I'm amazed my arm didn't just fall off at that time, but I'm pretty sure my arm is like permanently wrecked. Like if I had any sort of hope of being a pitcher at that time, it would have been just ruined by $12 all-you-can-bowl night. Yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping this doesn't turn into a Matt Harvey situation late in the bowling season if you're going to be on the frames limit or something like that and you have to start coming out of the bullpen, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't want to have to go tandem to get through the end of the season. Once a month, though, should be the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to cut the bowling talk a little early. Um, the first topic we wanted to get into is cigar bars. Yeah. Right, so you know, get the hard-hitting topics out of the way. I spent my Labor Day on a boat. I my dad came down. He he has a, he has a boat, and we went out on the lakes, and that was fun. What was not so fun was going to cigar bar after said boating. <laughs> did you go with your dad? No, I did not go with my dad. Oh, I thought he, I thought your dad. Okay, this this story no, makes more sense now. No, I went with other uh, young young people in their twenties, which you know is probably not the people you should ever be going to a cigar bar with, or just in general. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I had never been to this bar. It's in downtown Madison called Maduro, I think we deduced. Maduro? Maduro. Maduro. Shout out to Maduro. Um, sort of. And yeah, it was odd. I mean, I, I don't smoke cigars, full disclosure. So maybe that was you know strike one. I can't imagine why I didn't like it. 
Um, yeah, just a very strange mix of people there. Um, I felt that there was probably a lot of like gambling, money changing hands. Like <laughs> we're talking like multiple strobe lights, like a projector that was just projecting music videos that didn't seem to be matching the music <laughs> that was played. It's just, just an odd scene. And then it ended up, as I'm sure you're aware, like thunderstorming violently beginning at like 1 a.m. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're sitting outside at that point and just you know, basically the night ended with me like, like, you know, lazily walking back to my apartment, sopping wet and just going to bed. So hoping you didn't get struck by lightning. Labor day. Yeah. 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 That's a great way to set up your Monday. Mm-hmm. Really? Exactly. Yeah, I, so. I was asleep at the time. The thunder it was kindly crazy, woke me up. Yeah. It sounded like it was pretty intense. It was. Well, cigar bars. I mean, I haven't been to an actual cigar bar ever. I think I've saw I've seen one on How I Met Your Mother. There's there's an episode where Barney and Robin go smoke cigars together, and Barney thinks that's pretty awesome because mm-hmm. Robin's kind of a tomboy or whatever. Right. Uh, but was there like a VIP room or something? Like where was the where was the unusual if there gambling was, I didn't happening? Really want, if there was a VIP room, I didn't want to go. There was right. like a curtain behind. Like, oh the yeah. Bath- there's like a hallway where like the bathrooms were, and there was a curtain that people were like going in and out of, and I was like I. It just looked more like a storage room or something. It was like, why, why are you going back here? You don't work here. What are you doing in the storage room? So mm-hmm. I didn't ask questions. We got out of there reasonably quickly, I guess. Um, I got out of there without smoking any cigars, but I, I did feel like I smoked at least like a half a pack of cigarettes just on like the secondhand cigar smoke. Yeah, if you're chilling in the cigar bar, I'm sure the ventilation in there is moderate. Uh, you're, you're probably partaking in a lot of fine cigars as you just sit there and you know, drink a beer. Did they have, they have hams there? They did not have hams there and i'm yet to find a place that consistently stocks hams um hmm. vintage downtown has in the past they've, they've been known to sporadically have hams but interesting multiple times i've been like talked out of ordering hams like by, like by time, waiters and bartenders by the bartender i was like you know i've been like hey I'll, I'll grab it they have 16 ounce hams which are very rare yeah um, the unicorn of hams and i was like <laughs> yeah can i can i get a 16 ounce hams and the bartender's like usually this happens everywhere so i'm used to it at this point they give you a look like what like are you, okay? you sure like, did you did you misspeak Right. Are you having a stroke like, right now, basically sir? Basically, he was like, you know, we have, we have dollar PBRs. You could just get that instead. I was like, no, I think I'll go with the hams, which is making them more money. The, the hams was, was priced higher. And, yeah, yeah somehow I ended up haggling me down to get the dollar PBR. So That's ec- strange. Economically, it was probably the right choice. Taste-wise, the wrong choice. Yeah, well, what does a hams go for? A hams tall boy, if you can find, is it two bucks? It shouldn't be. I mean, I think it's, it's $1.50 at this bar in the Roman Coin in Milwaukee, the, the one place that the consistently Roman has hams. Hmm. Um, but yeah, around here it varies. You know, I mean, it fluctuates with the market. You know, hams prices are are always up and down. But at the grocery store, it's consistently twelve dollars for a thirty pack. Interesting. Well, I, I'm, see, I'm the proprietor of Roto Soda. I mean, I don't make the money off of it. It's kind of a collective effort just to keep it stocked this time of year. But I've thought about Roto Beer for a long time. Either a fridge full of beer or some kind of keg, you know, situation. Maybe a kegerator. Even mm-hmm. uh, if we could do the pay by the ounce like they do at the Target Field kiosks, we could gladly incorporate that um i think i would I'd, I'd put hams on tap if i could find the keg i mean can you get kegs of it like at a local liquor store is that an you option can. you can get kegs and the funny thing is it actually is cheaper to buy the equivalent of a keg in cases than it is to buy a keg of hams i've done the math and That's it's like strange. it comes out to like it's like seven dollars cheaper to just buy like five and a half cases or whatever it come out, wow. comes out to well, barrels are expensive, probably. That's got to be part of it. And Yeah, know. well, I don't know. I mean, the liquor stores down here usually do, like, a deposit on the kegs. Like, you don't necessarily have to pay for the keg. You just put down, like, $20 per, then you get that back in cash when you bring them back. Yeah, you get the uh, delicious tapper also, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is cleaned very well. Right, exactly, exactly. A couple of years ago, we actually had people steal our kegs. This was back when I was in college. I'm not just having keg parties all <laughs> no, the time. No, this isn't, this isn't recently? And this is, yeah, like, two years ago, three years ago, and... 
we we chained them to our back porch after you know after we'd finished finished one of them. It was like it was a football game day, you know. So just you know, there, there were reasons. Day. I don't want to I don't want to seem like this is like the Rotowire alcoholic podcast, but. Yeah, we chained them up with a, a very thick chain to our back porch, and someone just ripped the porch off. Basically. Just yanked like the ripped, bar they off, just like yeah. ripped the wood off, and for like I mean, it's twenty dollars per keg, and they only took two of them. There were like four out there, and they only took two. It's probably just two guys, one keg probably, piece, I right? Guess, I mean, yeah. like that's it's a small operation, or maybe right. one guy just you know one on each hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we never really got down to the bottom of it. We never, nobody ever really seemed to care that much. It was just more of like a, huh, the porch is gone, the kegs are gone. Yeah, there's people I think who have klepto tendencies when they're drunk. So they may have even just taken them just to hoard them. Maybe not even to get the twenty dollar deposit right. back. May have just been like, "Hey, we're collecting kegs." People like, used to do that in high school where I was where I was from for entertainment. It was like this is you know sixteen, seventeen year old kids would like get a truck and just like go to local bars and like steal kegs and then return them to liquor stores to get the deposit. Okay, so that was the, that was purely for financial gain then because <laughs> I like guess. at our school, maybe the crowd I ran with was a little different. I'm sure it was. Uh, again, I was spending my time in bowling alleys yeah. on the weekend, <laughs> not not actually hanging out with girls or anything like that. Um, so maybe my school is different, but people would go to Culver's all the time. And the big thing there is if you knew someone who was working, you could swipe the number, like a little plastic card. And you guys have these at other restaurants. Right. If you don't have a Culver's nearby, you know, you're sitting at your table and you've got a card that has a random number on it. Well, if your number, the number you wore for basketball, football, soccer, whatever, if that came out and you could somehow keep that. That was gold. Like that was the that was the ultimate thing to do in high school was to swipe a number from Culver's. Would you like display it somewhere? Yeah, you put it in the back window of your car. Wow, how cool is that? It doesn't get a whole lot cooler than that. It's where, where are you from again? I'm from Waukesha. Waukesha. Oh, that makes sense then. Yeah, I don't know why. It, I mean, it, Coolville, it, USA. Coolville, USA. It's yeah, it's exactly how I would describe it. I mean, oh man, what a. I could have I could have easily had a worse high school experience, oh, but yeah. I'm sure there were plenty of people out there who had better ones than I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we probably shouldn't get in too far into our our, our respective high school experiences. Um, don't don't dig too far into my past. Bad things might start to surface. All I will say is that our my high school had an annual bring your tractor to school day, um, and that that pretty much sums up anything you need to know about about the greater Green Bay area. Yeah, the kids in Brookfield, the next town over, which is a pretty wealthy area, they actually had a bring your tractor day too because really? I mean, they have huge lawns. So it's not even because they're wow. farmers there. It's because their lawns are so big you have to have a tractor to mow it. So right. those kids once a year would drive uh, tractors in and uh, you know that's just, that was their thing. Hmm. All right, so let's get into some football talk unless you have any other any other ancillary cigar tractor high school talk we want to get into. No, nah, I think 11 minutes is all I've mm-hmm. got on that. I think we may have lost half of our audience by now. I think half would be a little generous at this point. Um, we'll start with Arian Foster. Good news for him. He's not opening the season on IR. We still don't really have a timetable as far as when he's going to be back, but you know, as far as just kind of from a speculation standpoint, you have to think this is good news for for his owners and for the Texans as a whole. Oh, man, you think about that offense with Elford Blue as the lead back, and to me, he's just overmatched. He's the kind of guy that's not going to help them get more than about three and a half, maybe four yards per carry if the blocking is really good. I don't believe in the, in his skill set whatsoever. I think the good news, of course, with Foster is that you're looking at an absence of maybe three or so games as opposed to a potential eight, which would have been the case with that IR designated to return label. Uh, Looking at where Foster's been going in drafts, it seems like he's a little bit underpriced more recently. I think the news over the weekend is going to change that if you have a draft here on Labor Day evening or leading into uh, the first games this weekend. I think it's going to cost you maybe a late third, early fourth round pick if you're in a 12-team league. If you're hanging around in mid to late round four, early round five, and he's still there, I think you have to pounce on that. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking of pouncing, we can get to talk about guys who are on, are actually on IR. You know, we talked about Foster not being on IR. Marcus Pouncey got the got the IR tag from Pittsburgh, as did D. Milner. Um, those are two guys that obviously don't really factor in from a fantasy standpoint for most players. Um, but two guys who do, Jay Ajayi and David Cobb, both rookie running backs, will open the season on IR. Jay Ajayi, of course, went down with a cracked rib. Um, and what, are you? Are you disappointed, I guess, that we're not going to be able to see any kind of production from either of these guys? Um, or are you looking at it from, if you're a Bishop Sankey owner, also, this is really good news. So over the weekend, the other thing I did on Saturday, I went down to Chicago for the NFFC primetime draft in Chicago. It was a great draft, 12-team league. We flew through this thing. It took like an hour and 20 minutes to get through 20 rounds. Everybody was just ready to go. I rolled the dice on Cobb in the 14th round, probably a few hours before this announcement came out. But I also grabbed Bishop Sankey in round nine. Those are full point PPR leagues. Uh, I was pretty stocked at receiver, just trying to find that second running back option that might step in and be useful. I think the job could change hands over the course of the year. I think the Titans acquired Terrence West in the last 24 hours or so. So that's just a short term depth maneuver there because Dexter McCluster is more of a receiver, more of a guy you're just going to dump the ball off to than anything else. So of the two, I'm more disappointed that Cobb is down for the first eight weeks. I think with Ajayi, he was kind of right in the middle where if the Dolphins needed somebody else on that IR designated to return, he may have gotten full season IR. He's a fifth round pick, so the investment in him is somewhat limited. But I think they like him enough where they want to keep getting a look at him, uh, whether that's like week six, week seven, as far as when he starts practicing again. I think that's kind of a limitation of that rule, and it's going to be after the second half begins before we actually see him on the field. But Damian Williams backs up Lamar Miller now. I just think Ajayi's path to carries is a little bit longer than Cobb's. Cobb actually compliments Bishop Sankey really well to the point where even if both backs are healthy at some point, I think Cobb could emerge to be the, the short yardage guy. And with that, he'll have some pretty good situational value. Right, exactly. He's not as good of a pass catcher as Sankey is, not as fast, not as not as shifty, but he's definitely more of a power back. And like he said, from a fantasy standpoint, that's kind of the guy you'd want to target just for, just for those goal line carries. But yeah, I mean, I think this is great for Lamar Miller's value, um, you know, returning to Ajayi. Um, I mean, how much do you really like him? I think he's kind of been underrated the last few years. You know, last year he started out kind of sharing carries, um, and then really kind of took that that job by the by the horns like midway through the season. But I mean, is this the this is really the first year that he's kind of going in as the man, right? Yeah, I mean, last year for the Dolphins, no Sean Moreno was in right. the mix, and he's kind of a forgotten man. Maybe next year, coming off of that torn ACL, we'll see him back in the mix. Maybe mid season, some team will pick him up, and down the stretch, he'll have some value. But Lamar Miller has has shown the ability to pick up really good yards per carry numbers we're talking about five yards per carry for him uh, last year and I think again as a rookie going back two seasons ago so I think the tricky thing with Miller is that if you go back to uh, his time in college injuries were a problem for him then there's some questions as to whether at 510 he can actually hold up with that workload all season but 38 receptions last year kind of under the radar too Ryan Tannehill has plenty of weapons but I think you will see Miller catch a similar number of passes this year Uh, Damian Williams to me just seems like the next man up, not the guy that you work into a full-fledged timeshare. So the workload should be as heavy as Miller can handle. It could be 275 carries this year for him. If he gets that many, maybe we're talking 13, 1,400 yards, which would be a huge gain uh, for where people are getting him. Right now is ADP floating around 30 overall. So you're talking about maybe one of the first 10 to 12 backs off the board, but usually at the back of that group. Oftentimes you have a choice between guys like Miller uh, and Justin Forsett. And looking at their respective situations, I feel a lot better about that Miami offense. I'd be much more comfortable with Miller at this point. Maybe Mark Ingram is part of that group too, but I think Miller has the highest ceiling of that trio. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Before we get into cuts, um, you know some of the more notable players who were cut. <clears throat> excuse me, in the ancillary moves that followed there. 
Um, do you just kind of want to go in and, and clarify, you know, what we mean when we're talking about this this inactive IR, uh, you know, opening season list? Yeah. So the way it works is players on the IR designated to return list are ineligible to practice until six weeks pass. Uh, from there, they have to wait two additional weeks, a total of eight, before they can actually be placed on the active roster again. Uh, so it frees up a roster spot temporarily. Teams can have a 53rd player. Uh, this guy's excluded. It's kind of like the 60-day DL in baseball for those who are big fans of baseball, where a player goes off the 40-man roster uh, until he's activated to return. Uh, so it, it gives teams a lot more flexibility. I wish there were a few more spots like this. There's a lot of injuries where you have players that maybe get cut who wouldn't otherwise. They get an injury settlement. You wait four weeks. They end up surfacing another roster. It just really muddies things up quite a bit. It's probably one of those things that the Players Association will renegotiate when the CBA comes up. I think that's after 2020, so we're a few years away from that. Maybe guaranteed contracts would be on that list too. Uh, but just having more players in camp, still in practice situations uh, after that six weeks elapses, I think that would be valuable to some of these guys in the long run. I'm surprised more players didn't get this label. Seems like there's only four or five that got it. Pouncey's injury is kind of interesting too. I mean, we've seen teams lose their center and have their offensive line fall apart. We've also seen teams like the Packers last year lose their center uh, early in the year or before the season started, plug in a replacement, and they don't miss a beat. So it's really hard to know just how well each unit's going to gel. That's going to be one of those things to watch for in that Thursday night game against the Patriots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We are only now three days away from the return of the NFL regular season. Um, moving into one of the surprising players who was cut on Saturday as rosters officially dwindled down to 53 Monty Ball, which, which hits especially hard for us in the Madison area. It seemed like it was just, just yesterday that his face was all over the, the buses downtown. It was. It really was because there was the Monty Ball for Heisman uh, right. push at the time. I mean, this is a guy who's only going to be entering his third year in the league. Entered last season coming off of an appendectomy. Probably not the way you want to begin your NFL career. You go back to his rookie season. Major problems in pass protection. Peyton Manning clearly got pretty irked by Ball's inability to handle his assignments in that regard. Maybe a guy that can't be an every down back. I mean, maybe you got to take him off the field in third down, obvious passing situations. But I have to have to think that some other team will roll the dice. And we're talking about a former second round pick, a low mileage guy. And he averaged 4.7 yards per carry in 2013. It's not like he had back-to-back Trent Richardson caliber years where it's clear that he can't handle being a quality runner in the NFL. So we're talking about a guy that's probably better suited to be a backup and not get used on third down. Maybe he has to play some special teams to earn his stripes. I, I like him a little more than most, but I, I do think he'll have to land in a really ideal situation, maybe like a Houston, perhaps Dallas. Baltimore as a possible landing spot. There really hasn't seemed to be much, at least publicized, interest since the cut on Saturday. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. I mean, if you can't pass protect, that's a big deal. That really limits you. If you, if you don't have a, a depth chart full of other backs who can handle that, that's a big mark against the player. So we'll see what happens here. It, it's... It just seems kind of weird to think that his career could be done in the NFL already after just two seasons, one of which started with a pretty significant injury. Yeah, and you mentioned he's not like Trent Richardson. This isn't a situation where he's just being straight up beat out by these guys. And then maybe in camp, that's kind of how it was, I guess. You know, C.J. Anderson established himself as that number one guy, and it just seemed like Ball every week was falling a rung lower on the depth chart. But the reason he found himself in the situation in the first place is just injury, you know, untimely injuries that kept him sidelined and basically allowed CJ Anderson to, and credit to him for grabbing that job. But I think we're far from 
we, we haven't seen the last of Moneyball at the NFL level, and I think he's going to get he'll get at least one more shot, and you know, hopefully it's the right situation where he doesn't find himself you know, on the chopping block again. Yeah, I'm looking at this Denver uh, depth chart now without Monte Ball, and, and Juwan Thompson is their third back. A big part of the difference between the two is that Thompson does contribute on special teams right now, uh, so that gave him the upper hand when the final roster cuts came down. I mean, if C.J. Anderson were to get hurt, and a lot of people look at him as a, a first-round talent, guy that they really want to plug in early i've seen him fall to the middle of round two but if cj anderson goes down i don't think ronnie hillman's going to fill that role i think juan thompson would vault ahead of hillman probably split it in this sense where hillman's the third down guy but thompson would get the first and second down work this is a guy that averaged five yards per carry last year pretty limited opportunities only 54 totes i like juan thompson enough to where if you're in like a 14 or a 16 team league you probably stash him away on your bench if you have a spot and you're just looking for some upside at running back yeah, it seems like we're almost back in the mid two thousands where the, the the Broncos were just plug and play. You know, Tatum Bell, Orlandis Gary, Mike oh, Anderson. Man. It just it just didn't matter. Whoever was back there was was just going to reel off hundred yard games left and right. Yeah, I mean that that was a great era in fantasy football because you were just getting value constantly plugging those players in. I think Clinton Port has finally solidified things. Ruben Drone, yeah, he had, he had a season in there too. I mean, with with Thompson, this is a guy that played at Duke. Really doesn't have a lot of fanfare coming out of college last year. I think he was an undrafted free agent signing. Uh, but unless they bring in a more established veteran, I think that's the the way to go. I know in a PPR, like a full point PPR, like Ronnie Hillman has some late round value because he will have a role even with CJ Anderson on that roster. But Thompson's stock definitely went up over the weekend. Yeah, he was a guy that I didn't know anything about coming out of college. And I mean, that Duke, coming out of Duke, you know, that's kind of to be expected, I guess. But that program is not the same program that it was 10 years ago. I mean, yeah. Duke is far from from lacking respect in the ACC at this point under Cutcliffe. Um, another movie I wanted to talk about, Christine Michael, acquired by the Cowboys. Um, Seahawks kind of shaking up that backfield over the weekend. It, I mean, this is just adding depth at this point to a, a, a running back core that's, one, banged up, and two, really still doesn't have a clear number one guy. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that they went out and got Michael in particular. I know they were actually one of the teams kind of rumored to be interested in Monte Ball, but right. how much of that was you know something leaked by the Cowboys and how much of that was just a, a writer speculating? I think that's a pretty big question there. As far as Christine Michael goes, he was actually drafted in the uh, draft I did on Saturday, he was a 17th round pick of a team. That was before he was a member of the Cowboys. Kind of a, a flyer there in case uh, Marshawn Lynch went down. But things obviously got more crowded in Seattle with Fred Jackson being added over the weekend. So Michael going to Dallas, probably just an extra piece right now. It, it's kind of interesting. Are they keeping four running backs right now? Or are they actually like part ways with Lance Dunbar? Like, How do they actually decide to, to go this route? Because I, don't, I, can't, I don't see them rostering four running backs for the whole season, right? It must, again, special teams must be a factor there. But as of right now, Randall, McFadden, Dunbar, and Michael are all on the roster. I think people forget, and I certainly forgot it. Christine Michael's a second-round pick of the Seahawks uh, going into the 2013 season. I mean, this is, a, this is a guy that actually has some pedigree, had some hype uh, coming out of, the, out of the draft from Texas A&M. He's 5'10", 221. We really haven't had a chance to get a look at him. 5.1 yards per carry last year, 4.4 in his rookie season in 2013, but a combined 52 carries over the last two seasons because Marshawn Lynch yields very little. Robert Turbin has been there, and now Jackson is there. So I think I like Michael more than Dunbar and McFadden at this point. There were a few rounds where in my draft on Saturday – McFadden looked like the best available player, and I just I couldn't do it. I've been burned by Darren McFadden so many times that even behind what could be the league's best offensive line, I just wasn't interested in rolling that that rolling the dice there again. It just seemed like a seemed like a futile effort on my part to take him and, and think that he was going to be good again. 
we've all been we've all been burned by a Darren McFadden at one point or another. I think. Um, Looking at another move, James Jones signed by the Green Bay Packers. I think we kind of all saw this coming as soon as he was cut by the Giants. Um, Rotowire's own Chris Benzine, who is sitting out in the bullpen right now as we record, informed me that James Jones was his high school commencement speaker at the good old Monona Grove High School. Yeah, Jones has done a lot to really endear himself to uh, Rotowire friends and family, I think, over the years. Aside from speaking at Zine's high school graduation, uh, James Jones was signing autographs at a Shopco, I believe, somewhere in the greater Waukesha area. So my mom got a chance to meet him. Said he was a really nice guy. I uh, was really happy to, to meet James Jones. Got a signed ball from my little brother. Uh, so James Jones has become like a favorite in the Van Riper household. Uh, my mom was was pretty upset when he left for Oakland last year. The best part of, of yesterday, by the way, it wasn't the pre-bowling for the league that I'm in. That's hard uh, to believe. It wasn't the, uh, the seven-foot wooden giraffe I got as a gift. Pretty awesome decorative giraffe. What? I don't, Why? I don't know how I buried that, but... I love this thing. I might even bring them to the office. It's awesome. It's it's totally. It's it's, it's like this hand carved. Are you like a wooden closet, giraffe. Like giraffe guy? I'm becoming one. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw the the giraffe at the zoo, and I thought like of all the animals here, the giraffe seems pretty happy because giraffes just want to stand around and eat and not get hunted by lions. In the zoo, they're they're pretty safe, and there's just endless food available for them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, aside from all of the the giraffe stuff that was going on yesterday. My brother tried to zing my mom about the James Jones situation because they had just heard that he signed with the Packers. And she's like, yeah, that's awesome. He's going to make their team a lot better this year. My brother said, you don't even know where he played last year. She goes, he played for Oakland. It was like, wow. Oh. She just dropped it on him. It was awesome. It was the, the best part of yesterday by far. I mean, think, think about last year. Derek Carr was below six yards per attempt. It's hard to do that. I mean, he threw the ball, I think, almost 600 times last year. A lot of different receivers there. Jones went from the most efficient passing attack in the league, probably to the least efficient passing attack in the league. Not surprisingly, he went from 8.8 yards per target to 5.9 last year. Still caught 73 balls. So in full point PPR leagues, this guy was actually useful, at least during the bye weeks. Uh, last season, we, last time we saw him in Green Bay, before he hit free agency, he caught 59 balls, 817 yards, only three touchdowns. That was a year after he hauled in 14. I think where he's really going to help the Packers is in the red zone because you're going to need someone else who can get open aside from Randall Cobb. Richard Rodgers' value maybe takes a slight hit. I just wonder how long it's going to take Jones to get back up to speed in this offense. Will he immediately be getting six-plus targets a game, or will it take a game or two for Aaron Rodgers to start working the ball in Jones' direction? First of all, you mentioned Richard Rodgers. What's going to happen with the number situation there is my biggest concern. Richard Rodgers, of course, taking over Jones' number 89. Is Jones going to pay him to get it back? Rodgers doesn't really have the, the pedigree there necessarily or the, the clout to, to hold on to that, I wouldn't imagine. So that's definitely a situation to keep an eye on in advance of week one. Um, but looking at this from, from Jones' perspective, I think you're coming back into a situation where nothing has really changed. You know, same coaching staff, same quarterback. Um, you know, you would, as a result, you'd probably think the playbook is still similar. Um, so there is going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. And like you said, I mean, anytime you switch teams, you can't just, you can't just assimilate perfectly, but it's about as good of a situation as it can be considering he's signing so late, you know, less than a week before, uh, before the season kicks off. And, and I think it's going to be relatively seamless. At the same time, you look at it from the perspective of Devonte Adams, uh, Jeff Janis, you know, guys that we've been talking about, Ty Montgomery for the last few weeks. Does this does this impact Devonte Adams specifically, or is he still the clear cut number two guy? 
Um, like it's, where, where does Jones fit, I guess, in this in this receiving rotation, and, and how does it affect the guys that are maybe behind him? I think Adams is still in, in good shape. I think he's probably going to catch 70 balls this year, probably going to push 1,000 yards, score seven or eight times. I think his value is actually pretty safe, even with Jones returning. I think it just takes a lot away from the tight ends, takes away value from guys like Ty Montgomery, Jeff Janis, perhaps Miles White. I think White may have been cut at this point. Looks like they've got five receivers on the depth chart right now. I, I think it's the younger receivers who really take the hit more than Devonte Adams, who I guess is young in his own right. But ultimately, I, I think when you think about the Packers' evaluation process, they tend to skew towards youth. That let a lot of guys walk in free agency. I think only three players on the roster right now are players they didn't draft, which is just remarkable. Absolutely crazy how well they've built that roster internally. Uh, I think when they make a decision to let a guy like James Jones go in free agency, they don't bring someone like that back uh, and then put him above the guys they initially drafted to replace him right I mean like they saw Adams as an upgrade they saw Adams as a reason not to pay James Jones in free agency so I think his role is going to be useful to fantasy owners I don't know if I would use him in week one I think he's outside of like the top 40 receivers for week one sight unseen if he comes back in he's getting red zone targets right away the value could skyrocket but for me Cobb's still kind of a late first early second round pick in a full point PPR league uh, you're going to see Adams go like late third in formats like that I think James Jones goes where Adams was going previously before Jordy Nelson got hurt we were looking at James Adams or Devonte Adams is like a seventh round pick it's in that range kind of right around the fringe of the top 100 that's probably about where James Jones goes if you're drafting between now and the start of the season all right other news before we get into some looking at some of the win total over unders for each team I want to talk about the, the tight end situation in Baltimore. This is something I spoke with Mike Dory about on the Wednesday podcast. And it's Crockett Gilmore as the, as the number one tight end. And it, that seems to be pretty universal at this point. Max Williams was banged up. He's a rookie out of, out of Minnesota, the top tight end selected in the draft. He's been banged up throughout camp. Obviously, the higher upside guy of the two is Williams. But, I mean, at this point, I, just, I don't know. I, I just, I'm nervous about Max Williams' value, I guess. He was a guy who was going, in a couple drafts that I've done so far, he was going you know, as if he was a number one tight end. I don't think that's going to be the case right now. I mean, at what point is he going to push this Crockett Gilmore character for that number one job? And Crockett Gilmore, I would imagine, is a character just with the name yeah, like right, you that. you have to be. I think the depth at tight end this year, I, I, at the top, you only have a handful of guys you really like as every week starters, but your 6-15 to 15 range or 6-20 to 20 range among tight ends even has a bunch of guys that you could see being valuable. I think that makes Max Williams a cut in leagues where he was taken. I think they're going to take value away from each other very often. Rookie tight ends often take a long time to develop. It's rare to have a guy come in year one and have weekly fantasy value anyway. So I think with Max Williams, you're looking at someone in dynasty leagues you're waiting on for a year or two and beyond. And even then, that's a late round flyer at best. So I think the big question with the Ravens is who's actually catching passes behind Steve Smith? Like Steve Smith's value continues to look really safe to me. He doesn't look like he's lost a step. We saw the production last year. I know there were a couple fluky long plays. There was one, there was a ball that hit a defender and deflected. Smith came down with it, took it 75 yards to the house. And that's a big play as far as skewing your overall season stats. But the bottom line is he can still play. The Ravens don't have a lot of proven commodities behind him on the depth chart. And the tight end situation looks like that's going to be a mess. I wonder if we're going to see Marlon Brown get used a lot in the red zone. Two years ago, that was the case. He had a bunch of touchdown catches. Maybe you see a guy like Darren Waller, 6'6", runs like a 4'4", A guy like that could emerge over the course of the year to have some value. I'm just not looking for much at all from those tight ends right now. No, and, and but 
you know, the, the flip side of that coin is how weak this receiving core is. You know, it's almost you know, the, the targets you'd think in, in theory would skyrocket just because outside of Smith and Brashad Perriman, who's also been banged up throughout camp, you, you, know, you start looking at pretty much no-name guys. And I mean, are you concerned? We can talk about the Ravens in a little bit in more depth. But are you concerned about this offense? And just, you know, obviously they don't have Ray Rice. The running game is, is somewhat unestablished. We still, the jury still seems to be out on Flacco as, as it's basically been since he entered the league. I don't know. I could see this team taking a major step back, I think, in 2015. I could see them struggling to get to 500 just right. because the offense really could scuffle on a week-to-week basis. I mean, Kamar Aiken looks like he's maybe a starter right now. If Prashad Perriman comes back healthy in a few weeks, he could have a ton of value. He's a guy that I think is kind of being overlooked right now in drafts because we haven't seen him throughout the tra- throughout training camp in the preseason, really. He's been so banged up. and That's the kind of guy that can stretch the field. And with Smith drawing at least some attention away from opposing defenses, I mean, Perriman, when healthy, should have a clear path to be the number two receiver, barring a breakout from Aiken, Brown, Waller, some other kind of unknown commodity. Right, and Perriman being a first-round pick is going to be given every opportunity to earn that job, so it's just a matter of being healthy for him. All right, so let's get into some of the over-under win totals, looking at some of the the Vegas websites for these. What was the official source? Was it Sportsbook? Sportsbook.ag, I think, was the, the one we found these on. Okay, yeah, so I mean... They do tend to vary by you know a half game or a game depending on where you're looking, but we'll be going with Sportsbook.ag, the official sportsbook of the RotoWire Football <laughs> Podcast. Yeah, right. I don't know if we're allowed to say that. Um, we'll start in the NFC East and we'll start with the Dallas Cowboys. The over/under on them nine and a half wins. Is that low or is that high? It's probably about right given the division. I mean, you've got one throwaway team in Washington, so you're probably talking two wins for Dallas right off the cuff right there. I think they can hold serve at home against teams like the Giants and probably the Eagles as well. Uh, This is a decent team. Defense has gotten better. Their willingness to look past players' criminal records is working in their favor because they're getting talent that's readily available that otherwise wouldn't be. So that works out really well. Defense was a joke a few years ago. Jason Garrett seemed to turn over a new leaf last year as a game manager, seemed to be a little more competent as a head coach, which probably saved his job and made the Cowboys quite a bit more dangerous. I mean, they may have just been uh, a technicality away from beating the Packers at Lambeau in that playoff game. And as a Packer fan, I can tell you pretty objectively, that's a catch. Even though NFL rules say it's not, that is a catch. Sorry, Cowboys fans, that didn't work out. But I guess the good news for for Cowboys fans one thing you take solace in the Packers were driving right back down to score anyway so maybe it would have just been more heartbreak anyway even if that was ruled to catch Romo I think is, is interesting because he seemed like he was finally healthy last year he was pretty banged up playing through a back uh, ailment for a good chunk of the last couple of years I think that has slowed him down at times the efficiency went to a new level 8.5 yards per target I don't expect that to hold up but I think the volume goes up a bit more with the question marks in their running game Randall McFadden Michael Dunbar, maybe you get one guy who emerges to do something close to what Murray did last year on a per carry basis. I would lean against that. I think it's two or three guys combining in some kind of ugly committee to do it. I think with that, you have Tony Romo throwing the ball quite a bit more than last year. Yeah, I think I don't, I don't see this offense missing much of a beat. Obviously, the big thing is you're replacing DeMarco Murray, you know, the workhorse of all workhorses last season. Um, and and he was my question to you, I guess, is how important was he to their success? You know, Romo played so well, Des Bryant was so good that offense just kind of clicked as a whole, and it all started with Murray being able to run the ball as well as he was, and you know, just the volume of attempts he was getting and keeping defenses in the box. You know, how how important was he individually to their success relative to 
you know, it just being a plug and play situation. I think it was huge. I mean, in addition to averaging 4.7 yards per carry and carrying it 392 times with a really high level of efficiency, he caught 57 passes last year. I mean, that was a pretty big contribution too. So whether those go mostly to Dunbar or whether those are split up over multiple backs, I really have no idea, but he was an important piece for them. Jason Witten, of course, you, you worry about more decline there. They really need Terrence Williams to step up. Seems like a guy that could produce at a level closer to what people were expecting going into last year. I mean, if you'd like Terrence Williams last year, you should still kind of like him now because if the Cowboys have to throw more, all those extra targets can't go to Dez. And Terrence Williams will see a lot of single coverage against weaker corners. He should be able to exploit that going into this season. Yeah, and he's a guy I was able to grab late in one of my one of my recent drafts over the weekend, and I was really glad about that too. I think he assuming that this passing offense maybe isn't quite as efficient as it was last year. I don't know if that's really sustainable just because of how, how up and down Romo has been. But assuming it's still productive, I think he's a great late-round grab, just a guy that's going to suck up targets. Staying in the NFC East, we'll go with the, excuse me, we'll move on to the New York Giants. The Vegas over-under on them is eight wins. I think that seems a little bit high. Yeah, I think I like their offense in the sense that they're going to put plenty of points on the board. I have a lot of questions about their defense. Is the pass rush going to be uh, a good Giants pass rush, or is it going to take a pretty big step back? I mean, Robert Ayers, a big part of their pass rush now. We'll see what happens there. If John Beeston stays healthy at middle linebacker, that kind of stabilizes the unit. Do you like the corners? Do you like Prince Amukamara? Do you like Dominique rogers Cromartie? Do you think they can actually be a good pass defense this year, or are they going to be shootout prone again? I think they're going to be shootout prone again. I don't know. This is this is a team that's been just kind of as, as up and down, I guess, as any team could be. You know, you sprinkle in two Super Bowl wins in the last ten years, but other than that, it just seems like you don't know what to expect. Setting setting the over under at eight wins just sounds perfect because it I mean, would shock you if they won five games, and it wouldn't necessarily shock you if they won ten games. They're always one of those teams that seems like they underachieve during the regular season, and when they get to the playoffs, it's because they they won nine games, they got the last wild card, or the East was down for a year. And they had won their last three to get in, and they're hot going into the playoffs. So uh, they're dangerous enough to to make some noise. But I just think they're one of those teams that, as you said, they have high variance, and I think the middle ground really is kind of right around that eight over or under total. That's one of them where if I'm in Vegas, I'm not betting that total. I'm just staying away from the Giants because I don't know what to make of that defense enough to to have a good read on them. The other hot take yesterday, hot take Sunday at the Van Riper household, was my brother declaring that Odell Beckham would be a huge bust this year. That he'd be healthy, he'd play all season, he'd fall short of a thousand yards he wouldn't score 10 touchdowns i just looked at him and said if he plays 16 games he might be the best receiver in the league this year i think the health is the only concern you have with beckham i mean last year teams knew they were going to throw to beckham 15 20 times a game and they still couldn't stop him which to me suggests that he might actually be the best player at his position in the league and there are plenty of elite receivers right now to have a, a legitimate claim to that title but I don't think anyone can do some of the things that Beckham is able to do on the field. Yeah, I think we had this conversation in the office last week sometime and just how much of a physical freak he is and how obvious it is. And he's a physical freak who stands out among a field full of physical freaks. And it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's the only guy I can think of that really has that kind of, that kind of body control you know, mixed with agility and this, is Calvin Johnson. And and Johnson, you know, is arguably a little bit more impressive just because how big he is. Yeah, he's but, six inches taller. Right, I mean, that's exactly. the crazy thing about Beckham is he's five eleven, but yeah. the way he gets up, it's the un- high point unreal. balls. Un- I've never I've never seen anyone who can play the position like that. He makes AJ Green seem like 
you know, a very good athlete, obviously, but he makes, he doesn't make, like, A.J. Green used to be the freak athlete guy, and then now you watch A.J. Green, and it's like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's a great athlete, but Beckham is, like, noticeably, like, a cut above him. Yeah, Beckham, I, I mean, I, I just can't, I can't even really put into words how good I think this guy could be. I mean, the equivalent for me, so, so after the year Mike Trout had this first full season, when he had that full breakout, the fantasy baseball community just said, well, no one's ever done this before. This is impossible. Guys this big can't steal this many bases and hit this many home runs. And his history just says this can't happen again. And it basically happened again. Like he repeated it uh, year three, his second full season. Beckham to me has that Mike Trout sort of feel to him where it's like, okay, you can look at last year and you can talk about all the reasons why it's not sustainable because no one's ever done what he did in the second half of last year over a half season before. But there's this decent chance in my mind that he comes out and just repeats that on a per-game basis and has 115 or 120 catches and has 1,600-plus yards and 14 or 15 touchdowns. Like That, to me, is within the range of possibilities, and that would make him one of the best receivers of all time. That would be one of the best receiver seasons we've ever seen, and it wouldn't be all that surprising. So in some ways, like Mike Trout's ability to sustain elite status at an extremely young age has made me more open to the idea that Odell Beckham is a once-in-a-generation type talent at his position. Yeah, I think I think that was clear after year one. But, yeah, I mean, we, do, we still need to see a full season of, of that production. You know, you dealt with injuries a little bit last year, and obviously that's not something you can control. But I, I, know, I know the Trout comparison is a very good one. Um, that's weird. So somebody is sliding notes under our door as we as we record here. We'll take we'll take a look at this notepad. I don't I don't know if that's a, a threat. Oh, it's a, it's a lunch order. Oh, that's Great. that's fantastic. Ideal, ideal. That is um, absolutely clutch. I mean, Beckham last year, starting in Week Eight against the Colts, over 100 yards in that game, over 100 against Seattle, 93 against the Niners in Week 10, 146 against the Cowboys in Week 11, 90 against your Jags in Week 12, and then 130, 143, 148, 185 in the final four games while scoring eight touchdowns during that span. I mean, he, the storyline here is the Jacksonville defense held him to 90 yards. That's amazing. That Jacksonville defense, we should be all over the Jacksonville defense in our drafts. Yeah, I mean they're they're a defense. They they are definitely a defense. They, um, they are a defense. They haven't really been they haven't really been flying off the draft boards at least in the drafts that I'm in. Um, for some reason people seem to like the Rams, the Texans, Seattle um, ahead of them. But you know they'll be available on the waiver wire, and I think time will tell that you know if you're if you're targeting if they're if you have ODB and, and he's against the Jaguars defense, that's that's a defensive target for the week. It's a good moving way on, to go. Yeah. Moving on from the Jaguars, we'll we'll do a whole separate uh, expose on them later. Um, finishing out the NFC, or excuse me, the third team in the NFC East, Philadelphia. The line is set at nine and a half for them. That's tied with Dallas, of course, for the highest in that division. This seems like a little bit of a pessimistic line to me. Oh, I think so. I mean, I think the thing you got to look at, too, if you're looking at over-unders, you want to look at the money line for each side. And I think taking the over is going to cost you a little bit here because I would guess Vegas is projecting more like nine and three quarters wins or something along those lines. But they got to choose either a half or a whole. So it must be really close to 10 based on what we're seeing here. I mean, this offense should be absolutely on fire even though they lost Jeremy Macklin it seems like they're not going to miss a beat you add running backs in DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews it should be an upgrade over Shady McCoy from last year and the defense seems like it's better too I think that's the big takeaway is that Philadelphia defense could be a top 10 defense from a fantasy standpoint but also in a real life context too they may be able to actually get pressure on opposing quarterbacks may be able to force some turnovers as well and it may not be quite as shootout prone as we saw the last couple seasons 
Yeah, and there was so much, so much of a circus kind of surrounding this team for most of the offseason that it was kind of overshadowed that I think they did get better. And obviously the quarterback shakeup shake up is going to be the biggest storyline here, but you're bringing in a, a proven commodity into Marco Murray. Um, you know, like you said, the defense is vastly improved. Obviously they lost Jeremy Macklin. Um, so there are question marks. There's no doubt about that. But I think, I think nine and a half wins just seemed low when – you know, you get Washington twice. Um, you know, and you, I think the rest of the schedule works out pretty favorably for them. Um, I mean, is it between Philadelphia and Dallas in this division? I think it is. I think they're clearly the two best teams here, and I think it's going to be a matter of whether or not head to head, if the Eagles could somehow win both of those games, that may end up being the difference in the division race this year. I mean, I think Dallas's offense took a step back, whereas Philadelphia is better on both sides of the ball, and that may actually end up pushing the Eagles over the top. All right, finishing out the NFC East, the Washington Redskins over under six and a half games. I don't like that. I like the under quite a bit. Yes. I think six and a half. That means they have to get to seven if you're taking the over there. And there is no way the Kirk Cousins are getting to seven wins. No, the Kirk Cousins are not getting to seven wins this year. It's not going to happen. This organization is just so dysfunctional. We've gone wax poetic about it before. I mean, RG3 out of the picture right now still on the roster but if he plays it's like i don't know if he's, if he's lost the locker room too or if he's just lost the connection to the coaching staff we talked about how unusual the treatment of rg3 has been throughout his time there i can't wait to see him get a fresh start somewhere else whether that's you know philadelphia if sam bradford tanks i don't think that's going to happen uh, but some other offense with a coach that can actually build an offense that fully utilizes rg3 skills i think that would make him interesting again a coach that's not trying to injure him and like, throw him, literally <laughs> throw him under the bus. Multiple coaches, yes. Two coaches now have tried to like actually throw him under a team it's bus. Un- unbelievable. The, like, the, just the carelessness with, 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 uh, with RG3. Um, but yeah, going back to what you mentioned about him losing the locker room, I don't know if you saw there's a TMZ report. TMZ, of course, being the foremost uh, reporting out there. But based, apparently TMZ had approached multiple Redskins players outside of the team facility or something like that. Um, and they were not shy about saying that they were happy with the decision to go with Cousins. Interesting. Um, and again, this is TMZ, so you know, take it with a grain of salt or a block of salt in this case. But it, it was interesting to me that you know, if, if I think RG three is clearly the higher upside guy, he has proven to be the better player when healthy. But the fact that you know most of the team, it seems, is ready to move on from this guy speaks quite a bit of volume. I think. Yeah, I mean, you wonder how many players are just on board with whatever the coach says so as to not cause further trouble in an organization that's already falling apart. But if you're expecting a team to openly question uh, the coach's choice at quarterback, you'd expect Washington to be that team. So maybe it is a case where there's just something wrong there. His ability as a leader is questionable. I mean, anything that any if you have a series of players who back this decision, then where there's smoke, there's fire in this case. I think... You just got to get this guy a fresh start. I mean, new locker room, new coaches, new ownership, new everything, new expectations. I think things would be way better off. But here's the deal. He's going to end up in Cleveland, and his career is going to be over two years from now because of it. That's the thing. You know, it's Washington is the model of dysfunction in the NFL right now. But the other teams that would want RG3 are close to just as dysfunctional, at least from a football standpoint. I mean, not, not many other teams are in a, a debate over their own name, uh, harshly defending it. Uh, basically the, the Redskins are in, in disarray from the top down and Cleveland isn't quite to that level right now but yeah a team like Cleveland um, I mean the Jets you could maybe throw in there just teams that 
you know, you could use RG3, and it would be interesting to see how he does there, but you'd, just, you'd almost rather he go into a much better situation for him personally. Like, I don't know, a team like Denver, for example, you know, if Peyton Manning opts to retire and they say, yeah, let's give RG3 a shot. Like, I like, I like the prospects of RG3 succeeding in an organization like that as opposed to one of the organizations like Cleveland, like the Jets, and, and like Washington that we've just seen cycle through quarterbacks like crazy over the last 10 years. How about the Rams? How about after the season, that. you know, his contract runs out with Washington, the Rams sign him on the cheap. He pushes Nick Foles for that job, or maybe Nick Foles just bombs out and they decide to move on. It'd be great if he ended up having a high level of success for a few years in St. Louis, given the number of draft picks they gained from Washington for parting with that spot to mm-hmm. give up RG3 uh, on the draft a few years ago. Right, and that would just be the ultimate ending for, for Washington there. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting. Week one, DraftKings will be hosting the biggest fantasy football contest ever, giving out $10 million in prizes. Go to DraftKings.com now, enter the promo code ROTOWIRE to play free for your shot at $1 million in cash prizes in the Week 1 Play Action Contest. That's promo code ROTOWIRE for free entry now on DraftKings with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. All right, let's move on to the NFC West. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the other three uh, NFC divisions today, and we'll, we'll, leave, uh, we'll leave the AFC for another day. Um, but we'll start with the NFC West here. San Francisco, uh, I think that's probably maybe the most interesting team in what might be the most interesting division in football. Their over-under is the lowest in the division at six and a half. Yeah, I think a lot of this has to do with the uncertainty defensively, especially. I mean, they may have to throw more, which could be a good thing with Colin Kaepernick. We haven't really seen him throw 35, 40 passes in a game on a week-to-week basis before. Could be a disaster, too. I think he's kind of the the key of the entire offense, goes without saying. You have a a new running back in Carlos Hyde. You've got a new top receiver in Torrey Smith. You've got Vernon Davis coming off of a miserable year. You've got half your defense lost to retirement. I mean, things have been awful for San Francisco over the past six months now so I'm curious to see if they're able to kind of break out of the tailspin and exceed expectations I think that six and a half over under is about right I think they could win seven games only because they're one of those teams that they're just going to find a way to hang around sometimes like I think people maybe are overestimating just how much their defense takes a step back from a real life context I think there'll be a, a tough watch some weeks if Kaepernick struggles if they can find a way to make Kaepernick a little bit more consistent in the passing game, the extra volume could pay off in a big way. He's an intriguing target as far as like your your backup quarterbacks go because I've seen in many of my drafts 14, 15 QBs go off the board before he's taken. So he's the kind of guy that you can get. If you get a good quarterback and you just want to take – you get a deep enough bench, you just want to make sure you have a quality backup in case your your guy goes down – I like him in that role because things could go right. The rushing touchdown total last year was fluky for the number of yards he had. I think he's still going to run pretty often this year. And I think if, if the running back spot is a black hole, I think that could open up even more opportunities for Cap as a red zone runner. Right. You mentioned all the departures that this team had in the offseason. And do you think they missed their window uh, for a Super Bowl? I mean, right now, obviously, they're not a contender, but the roster as is, um, you know, I mean, are they are they close enough in, you know, in a couple pieces away to returning to where they were and you know from 2012 through through 2013, I guess 2011 through 2013 to be a little more fair. I mean, this was a team that was probably the best team arguably in the NFC for a, a two or three year span, and then all of a sudden just completely fell off the table. Yeah, I think their window has closed. I mean, I think this is a team that's going to be lucky to make the playoffs this year or next, barring a massive makeover after this season. It's going to be a, a tough couple of years, and and how they draft next spring may have a lot to do with whether or not they actually turn this thing around quickly yeah absolutely all right moving to the team that has the second lowest over under according to vegas the st louis rams 
That is set at eight. I really like this team on paper. I think a lot of people do, especially the defense. A lot to like there. But we're still yet to really see any kind of results you know, physically on the field. Well, I think the big key for them is eventually the health of Todd Gurley. When do they get him back and how much does he elevate their run game? If they have a guy that can average four and a half yards per pop running the ball, that's going to open things up for Foles and that passing attack. Probably some underrated receivers, but nobody in there that you look at is someone that can take over a game at this point. Uh, the guy that you probably like the most is Brian Quick. Not crazy about Jared Cook. I think he'll get more targets than he probably should. Big contract there. A guy that Jeff Fisher really seems to like. I think the defense does carry them. Maybe they are built a little bit like the San Francisco teams of a few years ago. Well, I could see them winning 10 games, believe it or not. But I think that division makes it a little bit harder. I think the downside for them is that Arizona and Seattle are just simply both better teams. More talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, and better play at quarterback, I, I would expect, from both of those teams, too. I mean, I would take Carson Palmer coming off a torn ACL over Foles any day of the week. Yeah, we can move on to Arizona right away. They're over under set at eight and a half. This is a team that started nine and one last season. And, you know, obviously, once Carson Palmer went down, it was the Drew Stanton show, and things fell off significantly after that. But do you expect them to return, maybe not go nine and one out of the gate? But with Carson Palmer back and assuming he's healthy, is this a team that's going to contend for a playoff spot? Absolutely. I think they get the over on the eight and a half. I think most likely they win nine, but they definitely got a shot to win 10. I like Bruce Arians as one of the smarter head coaches in the league. Uh, I kind of like what they've actually done at running back. I mean, I think between Ellington and David Johnson, those two in tandem could be pretty effective. Plenty of depth at receiver. Maybe you get a slight bounce back from Larry Fitzgerald. You've got uh, Michael Floyd coming off the dislocated fingers. It seems like he's making good progress and John Brown can really stretch the field. So even though I don't like any of those receivers week to week to start the year as guys that I want on my fantasy team, I think they have a good enough receiving core to go with quality running backs, a solid quarterback in Carson Palmer, who seems to be healthy coming off that knee surgery. This is a team that should be better uh, than they were down the stretch last year after they lost Palmer. Things were just disastrous for them uh, once they had to turn to Drew Stanton. All right, a team with the highest over-under in the league. They're tied with Green Bay um, for that highest total. That's 11 wins. The Seattle Seahawks, how do you feel about 11? I think that seems about right. Yeah, I think so. They add Jimmy Graham to the offense, really dynamic guy, especially in the red zone, but someone that Russell Wilson's going to throw to a ton. I don't think the target volume falls off that much. I really like what we've seen from Tyler Lockett throughout the preseason. He looks explosive, not only on special teams, but also maybe as a guy that can work on the outside as a starter receiver at some point this year, as a third guy behind guys like Doug Baldwin and, and Jermaine Curse. Defense should still be strong. I think they got to resolve the Cam Chancellor situation still. Uh, so that's kind of a, the one like cloud looming over this team. But assuming that they're able to work out a deal and reports late last week suggest that they were getting close to ending the holdout, I think they're still going to be one of the elite defenses and the offense should be even better with Jimmy Graham as part of the equation. Right. I think it's going to come down to Seattle and Green Bay once again in the NFC. And it, it wouldn't really surprise me if either of those teams went over that 11, that 11 projected win total. And it wouldn't really surprise me if they hit it. But I don't think there's, there's really not much upside to taking the under there. No, I think it would take an injury to the quarterbacks for those teams to go under those numbers. And I think when you're looking at that, they're almost certainly going to push. I think they're both 11 and 5 teams for me this year based on strength of schedule for Seattle. And based on, I think, with the Packers, a uh, slightly improved division around them, specifically with Minnesota being better. I think Minnesota can take a game for them probably in Minnesota. I think you have Detroit being good enough to possibly win that game in Detroit still. You probably lose at San Francisco potentially. That, that Again, that's not the same San Francisco team, but Colin Kaepernick just gives that defense fits. So I could see that being a tough spot. Maybe one or two games you don't expect them to lose. They drop those over the course of the year. I think the Packers are more likely to win 12. Seahawks are more likely to win 11. But these are the two best teams in the NFC. 
Right. I think before the Jordy Nelson injury, it wouldn't have surprised me if Green Bay even got to 13 or 14. I mean, we saw this team win 15 games a couple of years ago, ended up losing to the Chiefs late in the season to kind of squelch what would have possibly been a, a bid for a perfect season. Um, but and I think they're not going to miss much of a beat without Nelson. I don't think that's going to be a huge issue. But at full strength, assuming everyone's healthy, this Green Bay team, I think, could have been, could have been the best and still could be the best of, of the Rodgers era. Moving to the NFC North now, we'll start We'll start with Green Bay. Um, and we mentioned that over-under is 11, tied with Seattle for the highest in the league. Um, you know, we, we just talked about Nelson a little bit. If, if he's healthy, do you think this number is any higher? Maybe it's 11.5 with Jordy, but I don't think wide receivers typically swing mm-hmm. Vegas numbers all that much. I think we saw Indomit and Sue's absence for the Lions swing a line. I think usually it's quarterbacks that, that make the biggest difference. Uh, receivers in an offense like that, I think Vegas looks at it as more of a plug-and-play type situation. So what maybe have, has changed is uh, the degree to which you, you, know, you, you profit if you take the over. Maybe it went from being like a, a minus 170 to like a minus 150. You know, you get a little better payout now without Jordy, but the number itself, as far as the over-under total, probably hasn't changed. Uh, good matchup against the AFC West. I think the Packers can kind of own that division. The Chargers are a little bit better than people realize. Denver's a tough matchup for anybody. Uh, but as far as the Chiefs and Raiders go, I think the Packers can probably do fine against those two teams, especially. And, and the NFC West, of course, being a, a tough division, does make that over-under a little bit trickier. But I think they're more likely to go over 11 than to go under. Yeah, and then I think the AFC West is a little bit underrated as a whole, so I don't necessarily love Green Bay's schedule. Um, they get Seattle at home this year. Obviously, that was kind of a, a hit to them early in, in week one last year, just kind of getting rocked at Seattle. So oh, yeah, uh, Thursday, too. Thursday yeah. night game in Seattle was, for the opener. That's a tough place to go. Right, that was. And so it'll be nice, you know, Seattle to come to Green Bay in week two. I'm looking at the ticket prices here that, that pop up on, on ESPN, I think, through StubHub or, or whatever it is. And they said their tickets are available for $208 for this game. And I just happened to be looking at the Jaguars schedule on another tab, and their, their tickets available for like $38. So. $38 for a regular season opener right that's insane yeah absolutely insane so get them while they're hot um I mean, anything else you want to touch on with this green bay team i think you know a team that we've probably talked about as much as any um you know given our location and just given the, the profile that they carry with aaron Rodgers. yeah and we talked about it earlier i mean i think richard Rodgers' value takes a hit with the return of james jones and i think with Devonte adams as the number two receiver uh, you're talking about a team that's still extremely efficient offensively. I don't think the uh, volume in terms of the attempts goes up much for Rodgers this year. I think that's what keeps Andrew Luck ahead of Rodgers in some leagues is that you look at the Colts, their defense, and some of the issues they may have running the ball because they don't have much behind Frank Gore. I think with that, uh, you probably have Aaron Rodgers finishing as a top three quarterback with relative ease again, and, and maybe he's the best in the league depending on how many passing TDs he gets. That probably makes the difference between Luck versus Rodgers this year. All right, moving from the team with the highest over-under in the division to the lowest, Chicago Bears at six and a half. And there's not a ton to like about the Chicago team, but at the same time, there's plenty of talent on this offense, and I don't know that they're going to be quite as bad as a lot of people think. Problem with them, though, is that Elshon Jeffries got that mysterious calf injury. We talked a lot about that on Friday. If he misses time, they're really hurting in the receiving core right now because Kevin White is already down. So you're going to see a lot of Marquise Wilson and Eddie Royal early on this year. And I think Martellus Bennett could be something of a target monster. This defense was atrocious last year. I don't think it's going to be a lot better this year with John Fox taking over as the head coach there. It should improve slightly. I mean, it was historically bad for a stretch last year. But I still look at this as a bad team. I think they win six games. I'd be inclined to take the under if you made me pick a side. Yeah, I... I don't know. I mean, you look at Forte. I'm still kind of holding out hope on Jay Cutler. Um, <laughs> might be the might be the only person in the state. Um, I love who Jay. Holds that opinion. Yeah, he's been great for for Green Bay. That's for sure. Was he at Maduro last night? 
He very well could have been. It was so dark. And, he was yeah, behind again, the curtain. Again, the strobe lights, everything's basically in slow motion. I just kind of closed my eyes. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I would say I would take the over on him being at, at Madero at the, the six and a half there. Um, I think the Chicago team, like I said, is not going to be that bad, but I think they're going to – their record is going to be bad. You know, I think they might finish with five or six wins, but I think they, in a different division, could be you know a seven- or eight-win team. I think they're a cut above teams like you know Jacksonville, Oakland, teams that have five-and-a-half lines. Um, they're not that bad. You know, I think, I think six-and-a-half is a product of a tough division, a tough schedule, um, and just – you know, a, a team has a little bit on the decline on both ends. So you're saying the Bears will ruin Survivor for somebody at some point this year? Like they'll pull off, and like one of their oh, yeah. six wins will be over a team that they shouldn't beat. Yes, and as a result, they'll be the source of frustration in Survivor pools. I think so. Yeah, I think they they were a team last year that got in such disarray from a quarterback perspective, from an offense perspective. I think Tressman kind of lost control of that team at some point. Um, and too too think, much chill for Mark Tressman, I think, for, as exactly. a head coach. You need a little more fire. Exactly. Like, this is a team that went on the road and beat San Francisco in Week 2, and we just talked about San Francisco not being the San Francisco of old. But you know, that's not a game that you would, you would necessarily project Chicago to win coming into this season. And you know, They get blown out by New England. They, they get beat badly by Detroit, Miami. And there's not a, like I said, there's not a lot to like. I don't have a strong case for this at all, other than I just have a, I have a, a gut feeling, we'll call it, I guess, that, that Jake Culler isn't quite as bad as people seem to think he is. So maybe the game, looking at Week 11, Bears are home against the Broncos. I could see the Broncos being road favorites in that game, like maybe favored by four, four and a half. So you're going to have some people at that time of year, survivors are going to be getting pretty thin. If they haven't used the Broncos yet, they may feel really good about that. Revenge game for Jay, revenge game for John Fox. Maybe that's the one they win that people aren't expecting them to. Yeah, yeah, and you, I think you kind of you have to like the schedule for the most part for them. Um, yeah, that that Denver game, getting them at home is huge. I think if you pick one out that they that they might win, like you said, I think that's probably the one. Um, yeah, I don't like them in Kansas City. Um, you know, I think home against Oakland that that's a win. I don't like them in Seattle by any means. I think that could get ugly very quickly. Oh, they might be one in five after week six. Yeah, we start out Green it's Bay. It's a tough week schedule one. to start. Green Bay and Arizona at home in weeks one and two at Seattle, home against Oakland at KC, and then at Detroit heading into the week seven bye. Yeah, if they're three and three after six, things went extremely well. I think two and four is a, a pretty likely outcome, but one and five isn't a stretch. Is this a team that I mean? You don't really see tanking at the in the NFL when you have sixteen games. It's pretty hard to tank. Um, but you know, in the NFL, unlike the the NBA, you're guaranteed that you know if you have the worst record, you get that first pick. So you basically know that if you if you're finishing as a bottom two, three, four team, you're going to get a top four pick no matter what. I mean, is this a team in Chicago? If they come out of that one and five, you know, through those first five weeks heading into the bye, did they did they kind of find a way to to get into that top five in the draft and start looking at a quarterback? Well, I think what happens in the NFL is you have players who go down with injuries. If you're a one in five team, or if you're in a situation with a guy like Kevin White, for example, and you're one in five, you don't necessarily bring a player like that back from an injury if he needs the extra time to recover. I think that's where like team. It's, it's, it's to me, it's impossible to tank in football. The only way you can tank is just simply managing your injuries for the future. And when you do that, your talent goes down. But as far as on field tanking. Like you can tank in the NBA and not get hurt. You can't tank in the NFL and have players on the field who aren't susceptible to just getting crushed and getting well, hurt. Well, right, it's that. It's the whole, you know, giving 70% effort to everything. You, you know, you get yourself killed out there. Yeah, the you'll, 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 you'll just die. <laughs> it would be so obvious for a team to, like, to blatantly tank. You know, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to break off a long run and just slide? Yeah, you're just, just going to run, the, like, on third and 12. You're just going to yeah. run every single time on third and long. Like, I, don't think, I don't think that happens right. in the NFL. I just think it, it becomes a, a roster management situation that really depletes your talent and that makes it less likely for you to win, even though you're not overtly tanking in game 
your front office is being a lot more careful with your assets, mm-hmm. looking ahead to the future. I think that's that's the degree to which tanking might occur in the NFL. Right, and you know, hopefully we'll see that. I think that would be entertaining from a fan perspective. Uh, moving on to the Detroit Lions, they're over-under set at 8.5. Uh, we mentioned Sue being a guy who's you know, capable of swinging Lions. Um, this is an 11-win team last year, so Vegas thinks they're going to be taking a step back. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's not necessarily just because of Sue. I think it's because of the improvement of a team like Minnesota, Green Bay still being tough. I think it's more about those factors than just Sue himself. I mean, they did get Haloti Nada from the Ravens. That's a pretty good replacement. They also lost Nick Fairley, so they're not as strong up the middle, losing two guys, only getting one quality player back. Um, so I, I think over under 8.5 is probably about right. I think they could be a 9-7 and seven team, but that's probably about as good as it gets in this division this year. Do you see the NFC North getting two playoff teams? Yeah, I think two get in for sure from this division. So who's the other one? Is it is it Minnesota or Detroit outside of Green Bay? I, I, they're in. I actually like Minnesota more than Detroit this year. I'm really? surprised the over-under is 7.5. I mean, you get Adrian Peterson back. It's rare to have a running back that can make that much of an impact. Teddy Bridgewater looks legit. I mean, it just seems like he's the kind of guy that's not going to make a ton of bad mistakes. Mike Zimmer's a good defensive uh, mind. I think that's going to help the defense quite a bit too. They're going to be able to hold their own defensively against teams like Green Bay and Detroit. The Bears aren't going to throw for 350 against the Vikings or anything crazy like that. So that's where I think they've really improved the most over time is defensively. I think they're going to be one of the better defensive teams, if not the best defensive team overall in this division. Yeah, and Bridgewater is going to be the key. And I think I'm hesitant to buy in on him for whatever reason you see just in this past preseason game just floating a perfect pass i forget who the receiver was it just you know the smallest of windows throws that big time nfl quarterbacks make and i just feel like the sample size is so small still that it's just like this guy can't be this good already right but like is he i think he might be it's possible i mean it definitely is possible i've been consistently impressed when i've watched him i was skeptical at first too just because i saw some of the film coming out of louisville and you know they haven't had a lot of quality quarterbacks come through. Well, so, hey, Brian Brom. Brian Brom, well, yeah, that was, that was a that was a gem of a pick a few years ago for the Packers, wasn't it? I mean, you look at that team, second or third rounder. Sorry, oh, to I feel like he was a second rounder. I, uh, I, it was it was early. It was uh, early at a time where they didn't even need a quarterback. Too that was the worst part about it. I think right. it was soon after Rodgers had so taken over as a starter. Draft, he was fifty sixth overall. What on earth? I mean, the very short list of mistakes that Ted Thompson has made, but I think that one, I think that was a Ted Thompson pick, if I'm not mistaken. So if I'm not mistaken, on the last podcast on this past Monday, we talked about Cedric Benson, and we, we looked up his college you know, on his ESPN profile, yeah, it was yeah. something like crazy off, Like right? Sacramento State or yeah. something? So I'm looking at Brian Brahms here, and he's a Louisville guy, right? I think we all remember Definitely that. Louisville, yeah. And can you guess what college it's, it says here? Uh, McNeese State. Anna Maria College. What? Oh, no. There must be some ID matching issues going on over there. What even is Anna Maria College? Is that even a real college? I've never heard of it. I wonder if someone's just going through retired players and messing with their colleges as a prank and no one at ESPN has noticed yet. Yeah, right. I don't know. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to find. I'm th- trying to think of like another player who's in that same vein to like to cross reference. I'm gonna look up Ricky Williams. Yeah, check out Ricky Williams. See if he's also at Sacramento State. That'd be. I mean, if, if all the Texas players had the Sacramento State label, like that'd right. be that'd be pretty interesting. It's it says Sacramento State. Really? Yeah. So it's totally it's an ID it's an ID matching <laughs> issue. We're, we're familiar with the concept of an ID matching problem. Yes. Yes. We we certainly are. Um, so yeah, this is great. I could do this all day, but unfortunately, we we cannot do that. We'll move on to the NFC South, the final division that we'll preview using over unders on today's podcast. We'll start with the Atlanta Falcons. This is a team that I really really like, despite them going six and ten last season, four and twelve the season before. 
they're over under set at eight and a half. And as we saw last year, the NFC South is as wide open as any division in sports, probably. I think I like them as the favorite in this division. I'm not a big, not high on New Orleans. I think Carolina just doesn't have the weapons. Tampa Bay is too young at the quarterback position. Is Atlanta the favorite to you in this? Yeah, I actually like them the most as well. I think eight and a half is a tick low. I think they could win 10 pretty easily because of the division they're playing in. Tough spot for them, of course, going on the road to New Orleans. Always a tough spot to play. But otherwise, I could see them possibly sweeping the Panthers. I could see them sweeping Tampa uh, outside of division. I think they can be pretty effective too. I do wonder how much their defense improves with Dan Quinn as their head coach. Getting rid of Mike Smith seems like a good move. Just seems like a kind of guy that... Seems like a nice guy. Similar to Tressman, though, like where you're kind of like... If things aren't going well, does the team have confidence in him as a leader? I think that was always somewhat questionable. Again, this is from outside perspective, not from someone that covers the beat or anything every day, but it just felt like Mike Smith was never the right guy to be leading this team. Offense should be explosive. Kyle Shanahan's the new offensive coordinator. I actually like him as an offensive mind. I mean, look at what Pierre Garçon did a couple years ago. That was also the RG3's best year. That came as a rookie with Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator. He's got great weapons there. I mean, he hasn't had a player like Julio Jones to work with before. I think the running backs are going to be fine. Tevin Coleman, to me, looks like a potential star at the position. Devontae Freeman should be very competent as a backup or as part of a timeshare there. The only question here is defense, but in the division, I don't think that's going to matter much, and they could take a big step forward since Quinn's a guy that came from Seattle. Maybe able to find a little bit more on that side of the ball than Smith was ever able to do. Right. They just needed to get something defensively. I mean, this is a team that finished last by far in, in yards allowed per game last year. Their pass defense was completely atrocious. The running, the running defense was all right. Uh, I mean, not, not where you wanted to, but the pass defense was so bad. And like the fact that they won six games even speaks to probably how, how decent or how good this offense is and and how bad the division was and I think it's going to be just as bad this year so there's definitely I mean, the NFC South is theirs for the taking I think they're by far the most talented team offensively they only added to that you know going out and getting Coleman in the draft so it'll be very interesting to see because we've seen how good Matt Ryan can be in the past um, you know I think this team is just overachieved more so than any other franchise over the last two years I mean a 4-12 and season in 2013 a bit of a lost year with Julio <clears throat> excuse me Julio Jones going down um, and Roddy White obviously aging and six and ten last year just an abomination considering this division um, move on to New Orleans a similar line for them the same line as Atlanta eight and a half um, so Vegas kind of appears to be split on, on who the real favorite is in the NFC South and you know we could basically say we can basically have the same conversation about New Orleans as we did for Atlanta you know a team that probably underachieved last season great quarterback a lot of weapons offensively questions on defense um, you know, I mean, what do, you, what do you think about New Orleans? Yeah, I think that's maybe a fair comparison. I mean, I think when you look at the Saints, Drew Brees is such a constant there. I just wonder if he can continue to crank out yardage the way he has in the past without Jimmy Graham. Brandon Cooks being drafted as though he's going to break out and maybe have an Antonio Brown-type season. Uh, Brees has had at least 4,900 yards in four consecutive seasons. The TDs have dropped off a little bit the last few years from 46 back in 2011 to 43 to 39 to 33. Even that is still excellent yards per attempt never been great mostly because the number of attempts is always off the charts he's been at 650 attempts or more in each of the last five seasons maybe that comes down slightly but i could also see the efficiency going up a little bit had to play a good chunk of last year without cooks uh, marcus colston still pretty good on a per target basis not the player he was three or four years ago but still good enough to be a contributor i wonder what they do at the tight end position how much josh hill and ben watson can account for the, the lost production from jimmy graham so i think that does 
hurt them. Maybe that gives them more opportunities to run the ball in close with guys like Mark Ingram. Uh, but I think once C.J. Spiller gets back, they check it down, throw it to him maybe 55, 60-plus times this year. He could be an asset for them. Still a dangerous team. I, I think Drew Brees is a little bit underrated right now in drafts. I feel pretty comfortable with him as a top-five quarterback again this season, even though they may lean a little more on the run than they have in the past. Right, yeah, I think Breeze's production has been pretty incredible, given that the you know the fluctuation in weapons around him and this team as a whole has kind of just been on a, a somewhat of a steady decline. I think since the Super Bowl year, and you know Breeze is a free agent after next season. Um, looking at the Saints roster and this, the direction that they've kind of been going, like, I feel like they're headed for a crash at some point. I think the, the, the team they remind me a lot of is like the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA. You know, they they, they won their title back in was it 2011, 2012, whatever yeah, it was. It's been a few years. I think yeah. it was 2011 um, when they beat Miami. And after that, you know, it was kind of you just hanging on with, with Dirk Nowitzki, and he's he's kind of the Drew Brees in this scenario. You know, a guy who's still productive, still good enough to maybe get you to the playoffs, but at some point, you know, I think the Saints team once once Brees is gone, they're they're going to be in trouble for a couple of years unless they can find a replacement at quarterback you know right away I think they could end up kind of bottoming out how about RG3 to New Orleans after this season Drew Brees to Cleveland great. oh my god poor Brees <laughs> Brees to the Browns that would that, what a way to finish out a career there I mean do you think he's done after next year I mean how, how old is Drew Brees? he's 36 so I think he'd still be playing another couple of years I mean you can play quarterback until oh, you're yeah. 40 if, especially and, Brees doesn't get hit very often right. the Saints offensive line throughout his time there has been excellent he does a good job yep. getting rid of the ball minimizes the wear and tear that way yeah I can, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be interested to see what happens like i said he's a free agent after next year so he's gonna be what 37 37 free agencies i mean their teams are gonna want him it's just a matter of is he gonna kind of have his choice of like a few he you know, should i mean garbage look, teams that are gonna looking for a quarterback what if the jets were to get him going into next year I mean, their defense with todd bowles as the head coach should bills. be very good again the bills they're like there are a handful of teams that are a quarterback away right. that have interesting weapons you put drew Brees at the helm suddenly things are totally different now right. i realize you're taking him out of the uh, the superdome so half of those games he's playing indoors conditions are a little less than ideal if he ends up in buffalo late in the year that being said massive upgrade for teams that are just one player away and i, I think he's going to have his choice of a handful of jobs if the saints don't retain right him yeah there's always year. that's the other thing there's a, there's a chance that and probably a pretty good chance that that new orleans will want to work something out obviously not long term but you know if it's if if Sierra, uh, new orleans is only offering him a year or two which makes sense you know and another team is willing to tack on a few extra years I and mean, we could see him walk so obviously a lot of speculation there but it'll be interesting to keep an eye on as the season progresses and then for sure in the off season carolina the winner of the NFC South somehow last year. <laughs> um, they're over under set at eight. How bad do you feel for Cam Newton at this point? Just with the, all the weapons that he's lost, the just the lack of general talent around one of the most exciting players in the league. Not much of an offensive line in Carolina, which makes you worry a little bit. I mean, as Cam Newton ages, that's going to become more problematic. Still mobile enough now where I think he can overcome it for the most part. Uh, weapons as far as the pass catchers not good at all I mean Devin Funchess was interesting to me when Kelvin Benjamin was still healthy now he might be overexposed a bit as a number one receiver there Philly Brown probably going to get a lot of targets maybe a guy like Jericho Cotri plays a ton Greg Olson's value seems really stable for me I could see him getting maybe even more targets than last year I mean last season this is a guy that was targeted 123 times which is a career high he could repeat that, possibly even improve on that mark this year, just given the lack of options in the receiving core. Yeah, yeah, and you know we we've already seen Calvin Benjamin go down. Funchess has been banged up, and it it's not a good situation for Carolina. But at the same time, they're still right in the thick of it in this division. Yeah, I think it's more about Atlanta's questions on defense. The Saints maybe taking a step back without Jimmy Graham than anything else. I mean, those three teams are close enough where I I see where the over unders are all close together. It makes sense to me. But then you've got Tampa, which is just like a step below these teams right now. 
Jameis Winston, plenty of weapons. I just don't know if I feel confident in what he's done so far this preseason. Going to be a learning curve there. Probably going to have some weeks where he goes off because of the weapons around him, especially if Mike Evans gets healthy. If he can get Mike Evans healthy and they can get on the same page, that's huge for his development. If Evans is banged up all year, if that hamstring injury becomes a recurring problem, it could be a pretty long year for Jameis and that Bucks offense. Right. And I think it could go both ways, though. Like if Jameis ends up being maybe a little better than people are expecting as a rookie or even just has a pretty decent year, like it's not insane to think that Tampa Bay could somehow like sneak their way into this division race. I mean, the, the over under is at six for Tampa Bay for what it's worth. Um, and, you know, I would take the under on that. But I also wouldn't it wouldn't be crazy to think this team could win seven or eight games. I mean, the, like you said, the weapons around him, like if, I think we're expecting a, a big bounce back season from Doug Martin. Whether or not that happens remains to be seen. Um, but I mean, if Jameis is a pretty good quarterback and he limits his mistakes and he uses the weapons around him, I don't think this, I don't think this team is going to be the normal, you know, bottoming out one, you know, first overall pick. And then usually it takes a couple of years to get back. I could see this team winning six or seven games. They're at least watchable. I think you're right. pretty likely to push on that over under at six. I think the six and 10 is, is probably a reasonable mark for them, but they could be in a bunch of interesting shootouts, a very watchable team, I think on a week to week basis this year. Yeah, and I think a 6-10 and 10 season coming off of being the worst team in football the year before, I think, I think you're thrilled with that. All right, so that gets us through the NFC. We'll, we'll do the AFC. Um, probably tomorrow. Probably tomorrow. Yeah. I, I don't think I'll be on with you. Yeah, but, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to the guys the tomorrow AFC. to cover it. Yeah, so basically we just don't want to drag this out too long because we could talk forever uh, you know, about, about all these teams in the AFC and probably could have talked longer about a lot of teams in the NFC, but don't want to drag this out too long. Um, so, yeah, Thank you for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast on Labor Day, no less. Brought to you, as always, by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Be sure to use that promo code Rotowire when you make your deposit on DraftKings. That'll get you a free contest entry. And also be sure to check out our site, rotowire.com, for 10 days. You can do that free. Just go to rotowire.com slash pod. No payment info or anything is required there. Just a few simple steps. Create a username and a password, and you're in. Get all the information you need for your drafts. Thanks again for listening. We hope you are enjoying your Labor Day. The Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast will be back with you on Tuesday. today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.